Welcome to today's episode of Tartugio, the podcast for geography and GIS lovers brought to you from the Department of Geography of the University of Tartu, Estonia. This show is brought to you by your host, myself, Tahmin, and Alex. Hi, Alex. Hi, Tahmin. We are really happy to come back with our second season after the long summer break. We'd also like to start with looking back at our previous episodes where we talked about various topics from open source and commercial GIS softwares to GIS teaching methods, uses of GIS during COVID-19 and different GIS related researches in various fields. In our last season, we have managed to reach out to 100 people for each episode from a diverse range of areas around the world. We're really grateful for all the listeners who have supported us through our journey and we hope that we can continue to develop ourselves and produce more interesting contents for our listeners. Today with us, we have the opportunity to introduce Margarita Oya, who is a fresh graduate of geography from the University of Tartu. We would like to know what Margarita is thinking about GIS in terms of education, research and profession. Hi, Margarita. Hello, everyone. Pleasure to be here. Um, can you please introduce yourself and maybe tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, about your journey uh, into geography and so on from the beginning? My name is Margarita. I'm 23 years old. And as mentioned, uh, this spring I finished my bachelor's in geography. In general, I would like, I would uh, describe myself as an active, adventurous and smiley person. Uh, so three years ago, after graduating high school in Tallinn, I decided to continue my studies in the university. At first, I wasn't really sure in what field I want to continue my studies, but I knew for sure that I want to come to study in Tartu. And why I chose geography uh, is mostly because I knew I wanted to study something that is related to natural environment. And also when I was uh, looking at the geography program, it seemed that it would give a wide range of subjects from different perspectives. So what I mean by that is in the bachelor, bachelor's level, the study program, uh, there are different subjects from hum human geography, physical geography and geoinformatics. Yes. And so before coming to the university, I hadn't in-depth knowledge about geography except that uh, doing my student research paper in high school about tourism geography and the fact that I love to travel and learn about different cultures. Oh, that is really nice. Uh, and how would you describe your journey of this undergraduate journey into geography? What did you like learning the most and what kind of things you were having difficulties with in learning? Uh, I would describe it as comprehensive, as mentioned mm -hmm. earlier. In the bachelors, there are a bit of everything. So geography is very wide. Right. The first two years, uh, we all kind of got the similar subjects. But from the third year, when you decide your thesis area, you can there's possible to choose more subjects that are related or relevant to your uh, thesis and mm -hmm. to help support uh, your thesis topic. Alright. So, but also like the two first years, they still are similar, but there's still room to choose a lot of like subjects that if you know for sure from the beginning that you're more interested in like informatics, mm -hmm. you can take a lot of subjects related to that. For right. me, I, I took um, 
other course. So mm -hmm. I took, um, I studied languages. I studied ah. Spanish also for yeah. one and a half year. I'm also a bit of a language nerd. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, when uh, looking back at these three years, I think I enjoyed the most the fact that it gives a bigger picture of natural sciences in general, oh, and it allows to also focus on very specific and narrow topics. Mm. But the most difficulties occurred mostly when I had too much things happening at once, and I didn't have time <laughs> to do go in depth with everything, right. so I had to choose to do all of them like quite briefly. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Classic. And this is what I think. I think I agree that uh, this is anyway one of the things with geography because of this very general approach, but at the same time because you're touching each field, going into depth into one field, yes. you cannot. Yes, yes. I kind of have the everything in depth. Same. Yeah, I, I also I also have the same kind of experience because I didn't have prior knowledge into ge geography or GIS in any sort. So while though getting into the field of the of the subject uh, is not always possible to go very depth in depth uh, learning something because uh, the curriculum follows a timeline and within the timeline you have to move on. So that is something I think most of the students have to deal with in their student life as well. Can I can I quickly ask um, in bachelors uh, when, when do you decide for a thesis topic, for a specialization? Well, it would be perfect to decide it on the end of second year. So yeah, you have okay. the summer as well to like uh, uh, already start your research. But mostly, usually in the beginning of the third year, you have to okay. decide. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can, I can uh, tell you. <laughs> in, in, in the National Masters, um, or anyway, also in the master's here, the students are encouraged to choose also a topic early, mm -hmm. but it but it is not always ideal, is it? Mm, yeah. Okay, I can only give oh. my perspective. <laughs> For me, it's it's probably better uh, at at least uh, starting with some broader field, and even at the at the end, if someone feels like they are not feeling very comfortable with the chosen route. They can always change it, I guess, uh, keeping some time on hand. But uh, still, for a research, I, I don't think master's level also expect us to have like huge uh, compilation of research. So uh, no. I think the timeline is should be enough. <laughs> I haven't done it myself <laughs> yet, <laughs> so I'm not a very uh, yeah. very good person to. No, my my point was just that. Uh, um, but you also have this special situation that you didn't have so strong background in geography. Yeah. Yes. So for you entering the GIS masters and then having to decide early for a topic might make you feel that you haven't had the chance to explore the space. Yes, that is true. That is true. That yeah. that is I, I guess true for me or people who have like situations like me. I think they will feel like this. But then again, you have to finish. So I guess yeah. it's better to just choose and then start learning after choosing. So right. uh, it it I I think it can work in both ways. Okay, Margarita, do you what are your what are your plans um, after now you after your bachelor's uh, degree with geography? 
uh, I for sure want to continue my studies in this field. So throughout these three years of studying, I understood that I'm most passionate about uh, environmental protection and topics related to that. So therefore, I want to continue my studies in that area. And with my bachelor thesis, I looked into the greenhouse gas CO2. So I think it would be interesting to continue research with greenhouse gases or climate change in general. Yeah, well, he the chair of physical geography. We have, we haven't introduced chair of physical geography on, no, on the podcast. Not yet. Yeah. We had uh, only geoinformatics and and human geography. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So in a later episode, you you know you might even you know learn more about the chair here, and if you want to do it here. <laughs> right. Right. So, what do you think uh, are the necessary skills that the newer students who are coming into geography should have, or uh, how they should perceive geography while they start their journey into geography? I think uh, programming skills and like technology skills in general mm -hmm. are more right. and more relevant in geography studies. Okay. And I think from ideas, I think it's very important to be creative and think outside of the box mm -hmm. to come up with better. And new solutions. Okay, um, Margarita, what and in, in your opinion is the the use of of geography and and related you know um, methods or, or education fields in the COVID prevention and uh, dealing with modern problems in the current world? I believe each field has something to add to the research of COVID pre prevention uh, from their own point of view, like in geography how it affected tourism and how like the nature adapted to it and so on and i think geography studies play an important role dealing with modern world problems because throughout understanding how things and understanding the bigger picture it is uh, possible to come up with new and better solutions for the current problems yeah, it is. I think also in in uh, the current situation, there's there's many things that that come together and should be sort of looked at in a in a sort of holistic perspective. And I think what I've learned in in geography is also that uh, geographers sort of grow to be these people that really bring in like a holistic perspective. They sort of they sort of start just to having it sort of within themselves to start to look at, you know, at the different hills. connections, right. you know, right. regional, but also in terms of, you know, topics that, which things play together and, and how you can, you know, mm -hmm. improve things. And that, that's, that's, a, that's a great thing of, of geography. I think all, like one of those soft skills. Right. Even, even uh, like meeting different people uh, around now, I'm seeing like more and more disciplinary knowledges are, open are becoming open towards more interdisciplinary knowledge because people are feeling that one set of skills are a little bit limited when it comes to uh, solving a different kind of problems especially in a world where everything is so connected in different ways uh, like uh, alex you yourself are connecting uh, technological skills with gi skills of course it has been there of course but uh, at the same time, you need this different set of skills to bring in uh, for, for GIS or geography as well. I think it works in other fields uh, in the same way. So 
I think today it fits really well that I found these two articles that really look on um, at uh, geography and in history education mm -hmm. in, in primary school. I mean, it's, it's just one um, this particular research field that these people, you know, were looking at. And the other map is they asked uh, other articles. There was a a survey about a hundred thousand people globally, actually. And uh, so they did like a statistical analysis how people, you know, all over the world, um, you know, their experience with maps, their their cognitive um, experience, like how they overestimate, for example, mm -hmm. things where they live that they know. Correct. And so, but they see that now from different perspectives because they have so many people asked in this in the survey. So I can uh, maybe, if, if you're interested, then I'll just continue and then and, and telling a little bit about uh, these articles. And then we can, again, guys, just jump in if, if you have a thought. Right. Otherwise, uh, you know, I, I sort of wrap it up a little bit. Yeah? Yeah. Okay, cool. So the first article uh, today, we only look at uh, two because it fits really well with the topic. So in the first article is uh, on uh, published on Nature, you know, Big Nature, and it is published in uh, Humanities and Social Sciences Communication of the Nature's Journal. It's open access, and the name is Concepts for Historical and Geographical Thinking in Sweden's and Spain's Primary Education Curricula. And um, the main topic of this article is that uh, the two authors they look basically at the structure, subjects, you know, timetable, what is compulsory, mm -hmm. what is elective, sort of the methodologies, how the teaching is done, and so on, practical lessons uh, of uh, geography and, and history teaching in primary schools. Right. So, and uh, it's, it's a really long article, and some of the conclusions they make is, for example, that uh, social sciences education really must link historical and geographical knowledge mm -hmm. uh, to the new challenges and threats that the current society is facing, right? Mm -hmm. And we just had, you know, we just had pointed this out, that uh, as geographers, you know, once we have been taught to think this way, bring things and, and, and topics together to link to link places and to link uh, knowledge, uh, for example, history and place knowledge, in order to uh, face the, the current challenges, right. so they had a really they had a really um, complex setup. They looked also at um, the scores of PISA reports, you know, mm -hmm. and they had like a really comparative study um, for the two countries. And uh, in conclusion, it was basically uh, they the, the two countries, Spain and Sweden. They have uh, similar educational conditions. They have a solid public system. They have a developed economy, mm -hmm. similar score in PISA reports and in uh, close to the OECD average. But uh, they found, for example, that in comparison with the Dutch curriculum, um, that teaching processes show that historical time concepts are not so well developed by teachers. So that, uh, you know, the understanding of how, you know, history, you know, actually yeah. causes, you know, you know, the things that they happen mm -hmm. then in, in, in combination with geography, sort of that this is not so strongly developed. Mm -hmm. 
And so in a way, they, they are, you know, these events that, that the students learn, they are sort of a little, the events and places that tend to be a little overly isolated, right. but not so right, much right, right. Yeah, put it in the context. The, yeah. So this yeah. is sort of one of the things. Mm. The, the classic uh, reason for this is, um, for example, that, you know, historical and, and traditional teaching methods, right. you know, sort of limit, limit this sort of holistic integrated thinking. Right, right. And uh, also in, in a, like Spanish uh, case, uh, a lot of teaching is still based on just this, you know, um, learning to head and memorize mm -hmm. facts right. instead of this... Um, Almost, let's say, philosophical. I mean, they're, they're primary school students, right? But right. Uh, the the philosophical sort of, you know, exploration of why things are, mm -hmm. this discussion sort of, you know, um, the, this is seems to be stronger developed in sort of um, British oriented. They 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 have anyway those uh, social scientists. They have this, you know, writing and and ex expressing. Mm -hmm thought and thought processes is more developed because it's part more of the general education in, in English language. Right, right. So th this is one of those outcomes. So that, that is quite interesting that the, because the way teaching in general mm -hmm. is, uh, has been done, the methods, the potential for, you know, learning from history and, and linking history and, and geographical events and you know, how, how it all develops into the future. Right. That this uh, this potential is not fully tapped into, right? Mm -hmm. so, That's really right. interesting. And the thing is, actually, this year I took a gap year for from academic studies and I'm going to Spain mm -hmm. uh, uh -huh. to do voluntary work. And I'm actually going to work in a school. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> So yeah, but my main topic there is to teach them about environmental issues mm -hmm. and make them more aware of the problems that we're facing as a society today. Yeah, maybe you can also look into what caused, you know, historically to lead to these <laughs> environmental problems, because then here we come sort of again into, you know, relations, well, because, because it's people, right? It's, it's right. Yes. people that did stuff back then because they had a, maybe a different understanding or not mm -hmm. The necessary understanding they didn't do it maybe on bad purpose right right they didn't know better so it's okay now we know better should we should should we act better probably right mm -hmm. now, even even the the concepts of uh, how histories are taught in in different of course there is a again historical uh, background of how a country was uh, developing their teaching methodologies at the same time uh, it Usually what you see is, you already talked about like uh, different isolated events, not interconnected within the broader historical perspective. And then we also have to probably, it's better to, to look at uh, if the isolated events uh, that are being taught in, in different educational institutions actually serve any way, any particular party's interest. Uh, maybe like, I, I particularly know Japan, doesn't want to teach in their educational curriculum how like before second world war how their part of uh, active uh, war uh, against uh, different uh, asian countries uh, was uh, being held so they don't want to talk about it they don't want to bring this up into historical books in, in in 
so th these these are the things that uh, even the teaching methods which comes as a source of knowledge to the population or the people or the children of a country it also is a is, is quite uh, strongly related with the political agendas in in many ways so when it comes to maybe i don't know sweden spain uh, other countries uh, spain has a quite uh, good colonial legacy as well so uh, i don't know about sweden's uh, that well uh, but uh, maybe then we have also have to tap into those categories because through this kind of researches we can show that uh, it's more beneficial of course to open the the teaching methodologies of teaching history in a more interconnected way then people have a better understanding of the world and how the world has come to this place rather than having a cognitive bias uh, but at the mm -hmm. same time mm -hmm. implementing them would be a real issue uh, because many of the time th this kind of uh, decision serves some kind of agenda of of someone so i don't know that 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 might be a thing because you were talking about how uh in some countries people are at, at least children are taught to just memorize and not uh, the teaching methods are not developed in a way where you can explore and ask and and try to understand why things are happening like in my country we we had the similar kind of uh, educational environment so we grew up kind of memorizing because uh, his then again it it relates to history so much because of the colonial history uh, of yeah. my country people thought the easiest way to gain social and economical uh, advantage in society was to gain the education system that the colonized colonizers have provided and for them back then it was just memorized because mm. you don't have the time and luxury or, or the infrastructure itself to help you understand that kind of things and it, yeah. it stayed and it is still kind of is there curious yeah that, that is that is that is very interesting yeah and i think we have i, I can't i can't generalize in our international masters courses mm -hmm. it is really interesting that we have because we have like so many different countries like right. almost every course has every every student is almost from a different country yeah and it's uh behavior how mm -hmm. how how as a lecturer um yeah. we sort of start you know getting in touch with because mm -hmm. it's still 10 to 20 students so we get to get to know each other sort of a little bit more personally right and uh because when we teach over the the years um, you know the, the assignments and the courses and, and the master thesis, and uh, it's so so I cannot generalize or judge, mm -hmm. but I must also sort of admit that mm -hmm. it comes through that uh, from different countries. Often it is country based, yeah, uh, or at least region based to to be not overly sort of geographically generalizing right, right. all Asians or you know like that. Right, right, right. That would be bad, but um, there's different different um, approaches towards mm -hmm. uh, um, learning or towards showing the teacher that that you learn something, right. and right. and then how we see that the students approach a task mm -hmm. that where they have to you know do it on their own sort of right. And I think this is a typical Western thing. Okay, we teach you the tools. The idea yeah. is to sort of I mean, it's in teaching in general. You teach the 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 the, the, the um, 
the method, right. but then only when you understand the method, then you can apply it on a new problem or on, on right. like a different data set or something. Yes. And uh, th there becomes then often interesting who starts only memorizing mm -hmm. um, or who starts to, to sort of move beyond that and right. explore. And it comes, it comes together, I think, also with some, uh, let's say, specific social behaviors that, mm -hmm. you know, like not losing face, for example, not wanting to show that you didn't understand. So you would like polite and say, yes. Right, yes, right. And, Right, right, right. But that in is the also assignment, true. in the that end, it's, true, you yes. know, the assignment, you know, just show it. So, but no, I, I completely understand because. But, but the progress I, mm -hmm. along the years, that, that is that is always really interesting. So, so yeah. So, and in a way, I think I can relate. It's of course not as generalizable, but there's certainly those those soft things that that come through, and you get a feeling for it. Yeah. Yeah, of course. And uh, I don't know. Uh, maybe Margarita, if you're if you can give us some ideas about the Estonian education system as well, like while growing up, what kind of educational environment or methodology you had? It would be very interesting when you come back from Spain. <laughs> then you then you would be yeah, even I, more able sort of to reflect probably, right, right? Because right. right now you sort of are in the system. But how is it in Estonia? Yeah, Do you have to learn a lot by head or is it more... I think... Yeah, now it's hard to um, compare because I've only been like in the Estonian educational system. When mm. I was younger, I actually lived in Ireland for two years. So oh, wow. I went to the first grade and second grade there. So but then I think with Ireland, it was quite the same. But generally in Estonia, I think it's it should be more creative and it should mm. be it should let students um get more creative because I feel like it's really still like the Soviet type system still or yeah well you don't I know the Soviet system because too young but yeah <laughs> but this is what all the older people say the Soviet system right yeah which I is traditional the teacher in the front telling the kids and they yeah. just have to listen sort of yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. I think Miles? it's slowly starting to change but you still feel that it's it's there oh. okay Okay, let me maybe quickly yeah. jump to the second paper just right. so we don't um, sort of, that we still have some time. So the second paper is sort of a similar topic. Um, the, the name, the title is People's Global Scale Cognitive Map Versus Their Personal Characteristic, a Worldwide Study. That sounds very complicated. And, uh, but what they, what they do in, in, in short, really, mm -hmm. is they have this uh, huge global survey And basically, they ask people to estimate the sizes of uh, their country and their region, their continent. Mm -hmm. So th this is sort of the base, their, their base understanding of the size of their country in comparison with other countries. And, and, and you know, and then they look into like a whole bunch of characteristics for even gender, age, Uh, of course, their own residence in which country they are. Are they overestimating or underestimating the size of their country, for example? Right. So, and they, they go like super um, detailed along um, and they put this all into a quantitative study. So they have, as, as I said, they have how many participants did they have? Um, It's around 100. It was either 1,000. It was. 10 or 100,000? No, 100,000, yeah. 
They have 97,000 participants. Mm -hmm. Although from those were almost 70,000 were male and then uh, 25,000 female. Okay, so the gender ratio is quite... Uh, there, there might be a bias. You know, you could go, of course, go full on into, you know, generalization mm -hmm. again, say men, of course, always overestimate, you know, what's good for them, you know, <laughs> yeah. with their stronger self-confidence and those type of things. But but let's uh, let's let's uh, leave that for a moment. Right. So they have uh, like 76 countries, mm -hmm. um, age groups from 12 to 70. 12 to 70, right? Yeah. yeah so they have uh, quite really, very yeah young, yeah, young yeah. people. Yeah. And so in terms, so then they also ask influence. They look at influence of personal characteristics and uh, familiarity with mm -hmm. uh, maps influence of their own residence, their own place of education, or if they migrated somewhere. Right. Um, and, yeah, spatial thinking and, and you know, their map map use experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, gender and age differences to spatial. That's what they wanted to look into. So what is actually the result? Do people overestimate their own residency? So one, yeah, exactly. So one of the outcomes uh, is actually that people that where they live, this they rather overestimate. So they think that you know their country or their continent is bigger than yeah other yeah you know. So that that seems to be a, a, across the board. Mm -hmm. Apparently, also not having a diploma like a, a higher degree seems to. Um, make the, the performance, the, the correctness also poorer for every country also across the board. So education... So does, higher education helps. Does seem to have, you know, because you, you have probably trained those spatial skills a bit more. Right. But basically this, this is sort of the outcomes. Mm. When they analyze the average accuracy of all countries... Um, people estimated countries or continents inaccurately by a factor of between two to four. Yeah, that is quite a bit, isn't it? Eh? Mm -hmm. Overestimating double or even four times. But when they um, testing the difference between country of residence, there were not statistically. And it's also a... not feasible to explore the curriculum of every country. So that's yeah, why that... it cannot go into detail with that. Right, because it was so many countries. I think 70. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, but it's interesting. People tend to to overestimate uh, where they live. This is a bigger. It's, it's a, it's, it's, it, I think there is a. I don't know if it's a psychological term or something. I think there is a center versus periphery and like uh, us versus them. This kind of distinction always creates this overhyped idea of where you are and what you are kind of a sense in, in a communal sense as well. Uh, usually bigger city people look down on uh, peripheries uh, livelihood and their knowledge mm -hmm. of different things and this kind of things. So it, it similarly, I think, works in these kind of areas as well, like where you live, you, uh, you can just literally look at the, the time zone, how it was constructed, keeping the Greenwich, Greenwich at the center, starting mm. from there, and and so it depends on on that kind of perspective that uh, 
if, this. if you are thinking from your perspective, you're gonna be like, okay, we are yeah. we are at the center. Maybe if, if there's, there was there's a, one really great table in the end. Mm -hmm. So apparently, what they did, they did also crossover tests for different regions. Right. So let's say um, Europeans were then also asked to estimate countries in in Africa or in Asia. Mm -hmm. And uh, there have been apparently different uh, results. So, so they have like some average scores. So it looks like, for example, North Korea uh, overestimates the USA, and some other countries make the USA up to ten times bigger than it actually is. Okay. All but the media, have, I guess. <laughs> and then you have worked. other countries. Uh, then you have it a little bit in reverse, sort of. I don't know. Right. Japan thinks of China only as half as big, uh -huh. or, or or China China thinks of the USA as even even smaller. Okay. So that, that that is some interesting. <laughs> no, uh, it is it is really interesting. It reminds how, how me, people perceive the the, it, the it size reminds me of the really interesting different things happened to me after coming here to Austria. So I went to the housing registration office and yeah. the government office, of course, and they asked me for the paper and everything. I get them, and they're like. So you're coming from Bangladesh? I'm like, no, I'm coming from Estonia. And they're like, who is Estonia? <laughs> I'm like, <"Esto> <laughs> Estonia. Austria, seriously. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and like, damn. Estonia is an EU country. And the person who was dealing with my paper couldn't understand. And going to Wikipedia and telling me, okay, let me check on Wikipedia. I'm like, sure. Couldn't understand from Wikipedia as well. And then went on to ask the colleagues around and then understood. But Anyway, the perception of if you're leaving where and then other countries, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah, man, here comes geos all over geography again. Eh? That's um, I also had that when I was in New Zealand. Uh, then there's also like they were also thinking like Estonia is it you know somewhere uh, somewhere in Russia or something you know. Yeah, I, I mean it, it used to be part of the Soviet Union, but it's you know it's really Soviet really years. on the side. It's rather you know Finland. <laughs> Yeah. And Finland, ah, oh, Finland, yeah, Finland, uh, yeah, Finland right? But Estonia, Sweden, Norway, Finland, of course, next best British country, really. Right. No, yeah. So, um, yeah. So that that is that is the, the good thing is that they they have done that in a quantitative analysis with you know mm -hmm. actual statistic looking at significance and and then those ANOVA tests and so on. So that that is that is really interesting that you know that that you can do such a study. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's most uh, done by people in Bel in Belgium in uh, Ghent so Ghent University. University, of course, yeah, university related yeah. studies. Okay, nice. nice. Let me check that the, the first paper actually that was uh, who's who did that? Chile and Malmo. Okay, there was a cross collaboration. No, yeah, mm -hmm. not bad. Yeah, so there's lots of stuff that that you can apparently research, and there's there is some some new information, big data, bigger and bigger. Uh, Margarita, so you are going to Spain soon, or you want to? Is that right? Yes, I'm going now really soon. Uh, at first, it should have started in the beginning of October, mm -hmm. but due to the situ situation yeah. right now, it has postponed a bit. But but do you think it will it will be okay? Yeah, I hope so. I mean, I also I wish the I best for you, of <laughs> course. But the uh, situation in Europe is this, uh, currently is becoming everything is becoming a little bit more wobbly somehow. Right again, yeah. 
again. Uh, well, you made it to Austria, which is great. I mean, so yeah, and uh, just after my arrival, I think they have uh, increased their regulations a little bit. Now almost everything closes by ten, and more regulations into how many people can be inside in a place and this kind of stuff. So, I think it, uh, it looks like these concrete living places this in the dorms there in uh, Technozet. <laughs> no, the interesting thing is uh, currently I'm at uh, Vienna. I'm not at Salzburg. I'm ah, visiting okay. a couple of friends because my classes are just two days a week. So I'm like, hmm, <laughs> something right. to do, you know. Um, so, dear listeners, this concludes our episode today. Thank you, Margarita, for joining us today. We are also really excited to be back with our second season. Like everywhere, please like, share and subscribe. We'd also be happy if you have some feedback for us. See you in the next episode. 